Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Today is March 22nd. That's proof that this is a live show. Well, kind of proof. We're really here. That last show was a, a replayed old show. Was there we're, any... li we're live and local this morning. Yeah. I, well, I was listening, though, and there wasn't any, like, you know, real pressing issues that made me realize it was old. How old was that show? Uh, we're rerunning re last week's show. Oh, yeah, it's not that old. Yeah, though. it's not that old. Well, our show's today. It's our show's here. right now. It's here and now and very current, and I'm sure you're going to have the most <laughs> current numbers. It's and the most current. Everything, and Dan has got everything all laid out there and nice and... Nice and neat and everything, and you're ready yeah, to go. Right? Yeah, it's a nice, nice row of <laughs> notes, huh? There you go. So, how about it? <laughs> Thanks. Take it away, Jay. All right. <laughs> I don't have anywhere to take it, man. I wanted to start by just congratulating Cal Poly for, uh, though they weren't victorious last night, a strong end to. A pretty good season. Yeah. Nice to see the boys awesome. represent. That yeah. was awesome, man. That was very really cool, cool to, yeah. to see them on a national stage. I was thinking as I was driving in, I mean, I know maybe the outcome, la I don't know that anyone really expected them to win yesterday playing an undefeated team that went to the final four last I did. year. I, I know you bet on them. I did. Which, yeah, you're <laughs> always showing your school spirit that way. That's great. You know, <laughs> I think that in any contest, I just believe, believe in the Rudy factor. And in any contest, somebody with an awful lot of heart, you can't, you just can't rule them out. Right. And no, I and did. They played hard. I actually placed a currency bet on a currency bet. <laughs> yeah. A dollar. Otherwise, a no dollar. Money. I bet so a dollar. <laughs> but I, but I bet a dollar on account of the guy I bet. I beat him every single time. So I hoped, if nothing else, I could give Cal Poly the edge. Yeah. I lay down the buck, man. But they um, may not have won, but I thought they they showed a lot of class in all their interviews on that on a big stage like that. And I thought they represented the Central Coast really well. Yeah, and I was just thinking how great it would be if this could be an annual thing where they're making the tournament every year, getting a little bit farther every time. Yeah, awesome. it was fun this week. The headlines were. Cal Poly Pomona, San Luis Obispo, San Luis Obispo. Where is Cal Poly? We were called Cal Poly Northridge. Yeah. Uh, so it's just nice to to get a little representation. And tell me, how cool was it watching a, a national, probably international broadcast last night at the Green and Gold running around that course? That was, that was, was awesome. pretty cool. That was awesome. That was thrilling to see. So. Congrats to Cal Poly and the the basketball team. Uh, well done. Wasn't a win, but well done. It's not only about winning. So yeah, that's it. That's all I brought to talk about today. I so just that's the message I home now. <laughs> that's the <laughs> message I wanted to get out. Sorry about the uh, hour and forty five minutes of dead air, but <laughs> <laughs> you can rerun that last show. 
Just kidding. There's tons to talk about today. Um, and by tons, I mean like pages and pages. Dan's got highlighted, highlighted, highlit. Is that? I, I don't know. Highlit don't articles know. over there. Highlighted, probably. Because highlight has got to be, well, maybe not a brand name, huh? I was thinking it's like Kleenex. Highlighter? I don't think that's a brand name. I think that's... Well, it is now, but I just think... Just what it is. They just were probably pretty smart. What's that one called, Jim? Highlighter. Well, I have the one known as Accent. See, yeah, that's a brand and name. And it does have a trademark thing on it. Okay. So, there you go. Yeah, it helps accent but it parts of a page that are more important than others. Yeah, it says highlighter below, and that doesn't have one of those little R symbols next to it. You know, since we're talking about underdog stories... Do we want to talk about how the underdog, yours truly, came in and held his own at ping pong? Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> worth a mention. Yeah, definitely worth a mention. Kind of got ping pong shoulder this morning. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got to you gotta work up to it. We kind of <laughs> dropped you into some real competitive ping pong. Yeah. Um, well, fun. now you know why last week when I was telling you guys about robot versus man, it was so exciting. Um, I, I don't think you're ready to battle the robot. No, yet, I don't think so yeah. either. Yeah, congratulations uh, yeah. on the winning team, of course. That's right. <laughs> All right, now we're done. Is that it? <laughs> Nothing about spring training? Want to talk about any of Mike Trout's home runs or anything like that? No? Yeah. All right, we can move on then. Good, hey. <laughs> uh, you know, last week there was... Uh, we talked just a little bit about this, but I, I saw it making a few more headlines this week, and so I thought we just ought to talk about it for a minute. Um, this new proposal to wind down um, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. And um, the, the idea is to kind of take them out of their current status and replace them with a new government reinsurer. And I was reading more about it this week, and the idea is to um, to remove this involvement of um, the private companies. So you make this thing an, a new enterprise, let Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac be, I don't know what they would call them. I, feel, I hope they would still call them the same thing. But um, did you see that it might be called the FMIC? Yeah, I, I saw there was some name change. Sort of like the FDIC, but changing it to the FMIC. Yeah. Yeah. And just this idea that um, the company would go on to lose the first 10% of any amount of money before the government backing would come into place. The company being the originating bank? Yeah. Or the, the servicing bank? The, the Fannie equivalent. So the, there's... There turns out to be this um, program that the loans that are underwritten to, and it works as a business, and there's profit to it. And once you begin losing money because of a, a failing individual property or market or anything at large, it, it works that way before, ultimately, the government would step in to bail out. And that's kind of funny to me because how much money did Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac lose before the government came in to to gird them up and make sure that I mean was it ten percent? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it doesn't significantly sound more. Much, it doesn't sound much different from no. It doesn't. I mean, 
there were more than 10% losses. So had, had that structure been in place five years ago, you still would have seen the government step in and bail out the mortgage industry. Yeah. And there's, there is even talk about with the existing Fannie and Freddie securities, um, how you could swap for the new ones in the, in, in the beginning. So they'll basically trade out the making Fannie and Freddie loans into these new FMIC loans. Sounds pretty funky to me. And as I was reading this, um, it was a kind of a strange realization again that the folks that are making these rules and programs don't fully understand what is happening in the loan business every day. Um, and then another thing is that if this bill is approved that transitions Fannie and Freddie over into the new FMIC, they're going to change uh, and make borrowers have a minimum down payment of at least 5%. So I wonder if FHA, USDA, those uh, VA, the different loan programs that allow a borrower less than 5% down may change this to create a minimum 5% down. And you know, that that's, that's a topic worth discussing right there on account of 5% doesn't sound like a lot. And it, it sort of, um, should make you feel as though if you want to buy a house, 5% is kind of a decent minimum contribution on a $200,000 house. You're talking 10 grand. And if you were able to save 10,000 bucks, then you'd be el eligible for the program. Um, that's not really the case today. And I think in the entry level housing, people aren't, as a rule, aren't even putting that much down. Um, yeah, we see people putting that much or more, but there are a lot of programs that we use at our little slow based company that are doing less than that. You know, FHA is three and a half, VA is oftentimes zero. So is that proposal specific for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac borrowers? Yeah. So it's not going to change USDA or FHA rules. But if this is but if this is the new government deal, you know, maybe they'll make everything go the same way. It's it's really hard to tell. So this this new measure is not yet a bill. It's just being proposed. Um and it's a you know getting a little bit of getting a little bit of talk still um, nobody expects that any changes will be made with Fannie and Freddie prior to the 2016 presidential election. Um, so all of this talk uh, really doesn't mean anything to us today. Uh, if anything, it's just a little bit of a glimpse into what policymakers are looking at going forward, this idea of what they're going to do, um, and this idea that makes the private insurer take losses before any government guarantee would be put into place is kind of a head scratcher to me. Didn't the private enterprises take deep losses before the government guarantees came into place in the current rendition of Fannie the and private, Freddie? The private insurers? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the MGICs, the AIGs, the, the yeah, they, they did insure these mortgage bonds, and they did take huge losses, and the government had to bail them out too. Right. So... It's hard yeah. to know what we're accomplishing with this bill. Maybe we'll get further clarification when it makes a little bit far, farther along. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, Wes talks a little bit about this on the show with us about the the strength 
um, an importance of the National Association of Realtors as well as the, the California Association of Realtors. They are a lobbying force to be reckoned with, making a lot of really positive impact in things related to real estate and mortgage. And I, I won't say they always get the mortgage stuff spot on, but I feel like they do a better job of understanding how this stuff works oftentimes than the than the folks that are writing up these proposals. But um, so they, they made a response to this proposed measure um, and, and this is this is what it says. NAR welcomes the proposal from Senators Johnson and Crapo to restructure the secondary mortgage finance system. There are many aspects of the proposal that mirror NAR's longstanding principles for restructuring the secondary mortgage market and encouraging the return of private capital. NAR applauds the efforts of Senators Johnson and Crapo to preserve the government guarantee and include provisions to ensure that middle class and first time home buyers will continue to have access to affordable mortgages with reasonable down payment terms. So they really saying that they're, they are behind this idea. Um, and I don't, I don't know that they're necessarily endorsing the current version of it as much as saying, thankful to not just have this wind up and dissolve Fannie and Freddie kind of thing or do something much more strict. Some of the proposals in the past have talked about 20% down payment requirements. So, well, it's, I, what I hear in that statement is they're looking forward to having the private com companies, the private banks come back in and start to set rules because they were a little more willing to take risk than the government entities are or were so i don't know that that's that seems something motivated a little bit by self-interest by selling more houses not necessarily by creating a safe and sane mortgage market you know we're going to talk a lot more about inventory today on the show there's headlines this week about existing home sales and permits and construction stuff like this um, but would loan terms today Let's say you could get um, lower interest rate, um, longer term, which would make your payment less. You could get um, stated income again so that the people that couldn't qualify suddenly could again. Let's just say you did all that today. What's the impact that it's going to have on um, real estate? There still are no more homes to sell. It's gonna, so it's going to create more demand, though, and you you might instead of seeing five offers on a on a well priced listing, you're, you're going to see fifteen. So in a roundabout way, what you're saying is you it's it's only going to create more demand, which is going to drive prices up, right? I mean, and that's ultimately what we saw a year ago when this cool down began. Is there was a frenzy in the marketplace because the terms were very good to get financing, but the bottom line is there's not enough stuff for sale. There And there's continued to not be enough stuff for sale. We see it uh, on a small scale in our business as we're working with the people that are buying homes in Slow County um, and, and even outside of Slow County in the whole state of California. Uh, it's a fight. If there's a well-priced property, you are going to have stiff competition and if you're going to win um you're 
typically paying very close to list price, if not more. So kind of going back full circle here, um, if the NAR statement is sort of self-serving, let's sell more houses, there aren't more houses to sell. No. So any kind of leniency we find is only going to drive prices up farther. Yeah, but I, I think they're planning for a future day when there is more inventory to satisfy demand, and they want to make sure that there are enough buyers to gobble up that new inventory. The more, I mean, it, it, if there are, if there is easier access to mortgage financing, I think you'd see home builder confidence swing pretty, pretty much overnight. They would all of a sudden, I mean, you'd see permit applications going like crazy. All of a sudden, there's there's demand on the horizon with new mortgage lending rules that, you know, I, I feel like right now we're in this kind of timid time where home builders still aren't sure if they want to go all in on, on big scale building, like big scale development type things. And something like that would um, definitely push them that way. So Tuesday, we learned about um, housing starts. For the month of February, so this is actually breaking ground on construction to build new homes. Um, housing starts fell for the third straight month uh, in February. Um, the only glimmer of hope found in the report, building permits. We're seeing more permits pulled, but I still get feedback from builders and developers I know that for various reasons, oftentimes, these homes still aren't necessarily selling for a big enough profit for what it costs to build them today. With the cost of the labor, regulation, permits, materials, there's new taxes. Every time you turn around, there's new tax. If you go buy a two by four today from the uh, hardware store, you're gonna find a new tax. There's taxes on paint now. They keep beefing up. I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, um, but they're beefing up, uh, you know, the energy efficiency stuff, making it just more expensive to be able to build a home. You couple all of that together with um, the current environment, you can't really build entry-level housing for a profit right now without a track maybe where you can get the, the numbers down by building a thousand of them at a time and stuff. But that's not necessarily happening around here um, in fact, it doesn't happen in a lot of California. So I was, I, was, I was thinking about this this week, curious to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that we have a new problem now that we haven't built homes in, I don't know how many years has it been? It's going, let's call it eight years now. Been saying seven for long enough. I'm going to go ahead and bump it up to eight. We haven't built homes in eight years. Can you make up for that? Because people still had babies for eight years and the existing housing stock still got old for eight years. Families still grew and relocated and, and started businesses and moved for eight years. Are we, is there like this pinch now that we're not going to be able to catch up to? It, it seems kind of a almost dire. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I mean, I, I would assume that you could catch up to demand. I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think. And without upsetting current inventories and stuff. I mean, I. Well, I'd, I think it'd be hard to upset current inventories when things are just they're so lacking in inventory right now. 
I, I wanted to say something specific about the cost of building a home because I had some first hand ex or second hand experience, I guess, with that this week. I spoke with a, a couple who are who've been planning a, a project in Avila Beach and they're they're looking for the construction funding to get this project really really moving and it's taken a while to get that funding together so the the cost numbers that they had they had a detailed cost breakdown of what it would cost <coughs> to build out this four unit um, condo project that they're looking at building and the numbers that I, that they showed me were about a year old and and they were informed by their builder that in the last year things have gone up building costs have gone up roughly 10 percent and that some of it is material costs going higher or or the fees related to the approvals and things like that moving higher um but you know all things considered when building a home today versus one year ago you could expect it to cost you about 10 percent more all right and in depends on the price range here but there's a fair argument to be made that that's almost what homes appreciated in the last year i mean depends on the price bracket right from a three hundred thousand dollar house to a million dollar house you're gonna find that that's not a perfect measure but if if the four hundred thousand dollar houses did go up by ten percent but the cost to build also went up by ten percent you still we're in this period where we're trying to kind of beg builders out of the shadows here um there, there's a safe environment to build and you should come out and and build because you can make some money at building they're still at the neutral ground that they were at a year ago you know so it i i wonder are we getting there how how close are we getting and we've seen i i wish that i had kept track of this data better uh but permits wise there's been bulging permits a few times where we kind of saw some optimism in the last few years of oh hey all of a sudden hey there's a bunch of permits being pulled and then we find that the next month it's like yeah well the starts are down they they didn't actually go take that permit and and start that project and so you know, I just I wonder how much of this kind of is optimism um, because starts falling for a few months in a row. Granted, it's the winter and, you know, that there's always that to scapegoat. But um, around here, we're not building enough houses. They haven't been. That's no secret. That's what keeps the frenzy underway. When I was out in Texas last month, um, I, I was trying to figure out how I could look this up, but I just can't seem to get it right. Um, there in Travis County, there's a development where they intend to put in like 45,000 houses. Can you wrap your mind around that, how huge that is? Um, and then imagine, imagine just a development somewhere around here that had, um, 2,000 houses. A 2,000 house development on the Central Coast would be amazing. Um, and w when somebody, if somebody came out to planning commission this week and said that's what they intended to do, we'd be up in arms freaking out about what that's going to do to the housing market. You know, 
we worried about Cal Poly building those beds and what was going to happen up there. Then everybody talked about um, the the new developments and slow. Oh, when those things come to market and they start selling a couple hundred of these, what's going to happen to all the other homes? And you know, we kind of we're starting to see what's happening to them now. They're still in heavy demand because there's not enough homes around. Well, listen, I mean, we know that there's a lot of demand for housing and we know that prices have rebounded, but isn't it still kind of a scary time to embark on a on a home building endeavor, whether it's just a single home or a bigger development when you're you still there still doesn't seem to be a lot of stability in the real estate and mortgage market when you have proposed changes to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the giants in the industry that really set the standards. If they change, how is that? I mean, that's a big uncertainty factor that that who knows when when something may actually change with them. You said maybe not expected to change for another two years, but we don't know that for sure. And, you know, we know it takes about a year or so for a home to be planned and built before it can finally be sold. So by the time homes that are being planned today are actually being ready where are those talks going to be about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Where are interest rates going to be? You know, since we've had the government so involved in in the mortgage market on an interest rate side as well, um, you know, th there's a lot of unusual factors right now that that don't really. It's hard to plan. It's hard to plan as a builder. Um, you know what the what the future demand's going to be. You kind of know where it is right now, but you can't just want to build a house now and have it ready like a month from now it doesn't work that way right so i, I don't know I, th I think that's kind of holding things back from really really cranking and really being able to meet the housing demand that that we have right now last week when um this this new bill was getting kicked around and talked about quite a bit um fanny and freddie's stock were down uh, as much as 44 percent in the session just the idea that they could be tossed and and turned into something new that um, you know made its future pretty uncertain. And I I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, if you're if you're going to take the risk of laying out the capital, going through that process, hiring people, building something out, I mean, you kind of want to know what the landscape is going to look like 18 months down the road when your product is finally ready for market. You need to feel like there's some stability and that the demand will be strong. I mean, another thing that has got, if I was a builder looking at whether I want to lay that stuff out right now, part of the thing I'd be thinking about as I laid down at night was, hey, well, I can do a bang up job. And I can come to market with a great product and be competitive and put nice touches on it and put it, you know, orient them the right way into the breeze and at the sunset and make a great project. What if interest rates are 8%? And now we have this diminished affordability and, and you know, maybe then you're going to have to sell without getting that profit that justifies the initial risk. And you kind of, you got to sit down and know that the risk of laying that out and undertaking that project and, and taking on that debt and spending that capital and doing all that is going to likely have a profit to it. Yeah. And it, what if by the time you're ready to put a roof on, r roofing materials have gone up by another 
four or five percent or by the time you're ready to furnish it with appliances and you know do do the the finishes what if those are up another seven or eight percent yeah you know those are things that make it hard to really feel confident going into a project that there's going to be a profit margin well and so this kind of brings me back those and this is i think one of the advantages that the big home builders the big track builders have is that they have that ability to buy in bulk and buy on forward purchase agreements of, you know, we are going to build this track over here, you know, in Southern California, the, the aggregate of all these tracks is going to result in, you know, roofing material for 5,000 roofs. And this is the price at which we're doing it because, it, you know, and, and the suppliers may lock in at that price too and give them a little bit of that edge. But we don't get those developments in and around San Luis Obispo um, very often. You know, we don't we don't see the couple thousand unit type of projects that go in like that. So I just I, I'm curious. I, my theory is and I, and it, obviously this is not something new, but I think that um, the lack of building for eight years is going to prove to just widen that spread of how much it, a premium it costs to live on the central coast, let alone California. Cause there's other parts of the country where they're banging together houses, um, for a lot less and that more, that equilibrium of supply and demand makes it a little bit easier environment for someone to be able to go buy and afford a home versus here where if you want one those are the people you'll compete against to get it because that's how many we have you know it's ten thirty-four here it's saturday march 22nd you are on kvc 920 listening to mortgage matters i'm jason grody with dan podesto we're gonna be here till noon so um you are welcome to stick with us we're gonna do uh some more exciting radio coming up. We're going to take your phone calls and answer your questions, respond to your comments. So stick with us after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. 
Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Hey, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. I know you heard it in the intro, but I'll remind you one more time. You can call in live and ask a question or share a comment by calling 543-8830, 543-8830. If you're a little shy, you can ask Jim your question and he'll uh, he'll type it or ask it to us here so that you can remain anonymous. Um, so census.gov. Yeah. Is a really fun little website to go geek around in if you want to. Um, they they push uh, like I'm on building permits survey just to kind of get an idea. You can look at permits by United States and regions, permits by state monthly, permits by state annual. Um, you can go on the annual and then so you, uh, you'd have to sort of compile some data from various screens if you really wanted to to get very well you know a, a good edge on how many units are being built but this breaks down one unit two unit three and four units and then five or more units so this is kind of a, a measure of building a single family home versus a duplex or an apartment building and then it breaks it down um in the you know going across the u.s there's regions and states obviously that you could look at um, total units built in the United States 2013. This actually says 976,369 units. Yeah, that's single family homes chalking that up at 617,501 units. Um, five or more units making up the next lion's share there, 332,000. 309 units so that's a those are multi-family kind of like you know more commercial builder type of stuff in use but the it's i just find that that's really interesting and it, it go back on on this page i can go back as far as 2004 so i just hit 2004 um total units built in the united states i'm not even gonna let you guess um, it's 2,070,077 units, 1.6 million units that year built in single family. That's that to me, if you just look at what was happening there, such a demand on, and that wasn't even the, the peak, right? I mean, I, I went to 2004, that was as far back as I could go, 
we'll go to like 2005 total units um 2.155 million and then 2006 where i think most have said that was kind of the peak of the housing at least in terms of value and stuff 1.8 million units there so you kind of run this forward now and where the logic i'm trying to connect here is that we're still below a million units today um in 2009 units built 582,000. Okay. And, while, and while we were in the break we were kind of just putting it into context with population growth um you know the united states has about 315 million people um and the the population growth rate is less than one percent so you're looking at about you know a little over well, I don't know, call it 3 million people per year, new people being added to the United States population. Um, we, and, we, people and in, pair up, you know, usually living people in... pair house. up, right? But in <laughs> year one... average two point something people per household, so it, it, you need a million homes a year to be built. And your household counts in this. You you guys in the last point, year... 2.1, you, you added a kiddo to the mix, and... Um, that kid's going to live with you for a while. That didn't create a new housing demand. But there's people who, at the beginning of the year, were 17. End of the year, they're 18. Now they're moving out of their parents' house. They're out. They're creating a new housing demand. And so we are experiencing a net gain in population growth. Yes, people die and free up a house, but for the most part, population is is in a positive trend each year. Um, so my my point is this: you know, look at the last ten years here as a study. That's as far back as we can make it on this site. We have built significantly under that pace for years in a row, and. Um, there doesn't appear to be this opportunity to really build um, for guaranteed profits right now. Also, during the break, you brought up you you looked at a chunk of dirt in Santa Maria. Yeah, there's a there was something that popped up on on my radar. Um, there's a opportunity for land to build up to 15 homes in Santa Maria in an existing in the middle of an existing neighborhood. Um, but when you ran out the math building at a at a pretty aggressive price per square foot you know something where you're really thin on profit margin um there was no profit beyond just paying the normal wages to the the crews you know there so the the risk that a builder sees in that is if something goes wrong now i'm eating into what i need to make just to put food on the table there's no there was no profit to begin with i could just pay myself my normal wage um, you know, that's, a, that's something that uh, there's a lot of risk and it doesn't seem worth it. Well, if you're smart enough to do a 15 unit development for you and your crew, you've got the wherewithal to know that there needs to be a return for you. You're exposing yourself of years of liability with the builder warranties that main that you have to maintain and, and just going through the whole thing. You're not going to do this just for the wage to pay yourself and your crew. If you're going to take the exposure of a few million dollars of initial investment, there's a premium that that money demands coming back in addition to having been the guy that provided the labor and crew and made a wage that way too. So 
I, I think we're just still not there yet. Homes still, because of the price of land, let's and- call it inflation. <laughs> Um, the cost of land, the cost to build, the also the the hard and soft costs too, right? You've got that the permits and the taxes and the fees and the the regulatory process and the time, and, yeah, <laughs> all of the stuff that goes into that is more expensive today. So it almost it almost begs real estate to appreciate more, just so that we can build a new housing stock that's um, an a wise business venture for the people that are going to build them. Unless of course you want to go into building 5,000 um, matching homes that are all the same color paint with the same color, everything and the same color, you know, perfect little patch of grass out front with three feet on either side to the next house and just build a, a few hundred acres of that. You could, you could probably do that right now for a fee, but is that going to fly around here? We're I not going to see too many of those. Yeah, maybe they'll line the side of one for your road out to Morro Bay. You'll just you'll pass that the whole way. Build us a few thousand. I of sure those. hope not. Hey, since we're you know we're on the topic here of of home sales and home building, that I just wanted to share some of the more recent figures for San Luis Obispo County home sales and prices. Um, we have the February numbers that have come out here recently, and the number of homes sold, the units sold, uh, was up 2.5% year over year from February 2013, up to 248 units sold in the month. Um, and the overall median home price was up 22% year over year. Median home price in February um, is up to $450,000. $450, and the median home prices have now increased year over year for a 20 for 22 consecutive months um so we are definitely seeing a rebound in home prices we're still a little bit off of the the highs that we saw i think the peak was in 2006 statewide our our numbers in our county varied a little bit from the statewide numbers at least units sold um the number of sales statewide fell by almost 11% and, but median home prices were up nearly 23% statewide. The statewide median home price in February was 355000 so about 100000 less than what we see in our county. Interesting. I'm still stuck on this page right here looking at um, the, the new, new unit totals and looking by region and state. So going back to 2013 here, um, just trying to get grasp of the most recent, start like scrolling through the list. California is lumped into a region called Pacific. And Pacific is not quite the lowest scoring on the list, but they're down there. Uh, but California is in with Alaska, Hawaii, Oregon, and Washington. So, And what's the scoring? Just just how many units were built in that in that region? So in the year, the region had total units of one hundred and thirty thousand, seventy nine thousand of which came from California. So it's kind of like looking through the rest of the list to see who built more. Um, Only seventy nine thousand out of the hundred out of the million or so that were built nationwide. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
in ju- if you isolate just California, in the mm-hmm. year, the region, the Pacific region, did 130,000 of those that were built, and California was responsible for 79,028 units. But there, there are other states around that have a better grasp of it here. Texas? I know Texas is huge, right? But 146,000 units were built in Texas. Arkansas, only 6,000. Mississippi, 5,000. Florida, 87,000. So there's some of these, just some of these states where, you know, there's quite a bit going on. I just would expect, you know, and as far as a state goes, out of a million, if there are 50 states, you know, what does that make the the average by state? Is that 20,000? No. I mean, we we definitely have a yeah. pretty big chunk, you know, what, a tenth or something out of the total homes built, a little less than that, maybe a twelfth of the homes built were built in this state, which is good when you think about 50 states. But when you consider that our when California has like 15 percent of the country's population, we're a little below the the proportion of of homes still. You know, we should have built 150,000 of the homes. Instead, we're only meeting half of that. So, yeah, we're not we're not building enough homes. But, you know, you look at things like the things we've been talking about so far, the show, the 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 lack of certainty in the mortgage and housing market, the the increased costs, the the, the red tape that it takes to get a project approved. And what you have is. You know, I, I feel like the home builder confidence number kind of sums it up. There's not a lot of confidence. We we see their, what is it? Their sentiment index, month over month, and it's still it's it's a range of one to a hundred. Anything below fifty means they're less than confident, and they're still below fifty on this on this scale. So, you know, even though we've seen home prices go up twenty percent year over year, and and rates interest rates still remain low, and people are there's a obvious demand. It's not leading to home builders feeling confident enough yet to start these new projects. And I, I think it's it all comes back to what we've been talking about. It's that lack of certainty, lack of what the future holds for for the ability to obtain a mortgage and how much it's gonna cost someone and what materials are gonna cost. It's it's we need stability in those areas before I think we're gonna see stability and predictability in in the builder side of things. Agreed. So yeah. how is that going to how are we going to get that? I mean, are we going to have to wait until the government's fully out of the bond buying and you know, the things are settled with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Are we still looking at two more years before home builders are truly confident again to start to build enough homes to meet demand? Perhaps the National Association of Home Builders um, chief economist David Crow made a statement this week in, in terms of the uh, U.S. home builder sentiment. He said, a number of factors are raising builder concerns over meeting demand for the spring buying season. These include a shortage of buildable lots and skilled workers, rising material prices, and an extremely low inventory of new homes for sale. So part of it is that there's also, there's not a lot of new homes for sale. So there's not a demonstrated ability to take 
new homes to market and make great profit on it, you know? So that I think answer your question, I don't know exactly what it's going to take, but I'll tell you what it's going to look like when it happens. Builders are going to be able to know that they can make a profit <laughs> for sure. Or very high likelihood of making a profit. You won't do the math and come up going, man, maybe, maybe we could make some money. Yeah. Then you're if better this off. If this happens and if that happens, we could. You know, you want those ifs out of the. the you're equation. better off to go look for a remodel job or something, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I don't know. It's an interesting thing. I think it's funny, by the way, that that metric is around 50 is like the break point. Below 50, they're not confident. Above 50, they're slightly confident. The higher you get on the scale, the confidence grows. Um, so I uh, something that came up on Friday in our Morro Bay office um, after going on the weekly caravan was that this this lack of building new homes, this um, you know shortage of supply. It's kind of leading to some interesting trends, um, and I'll speak specifically to to the Morro Bay market areas of Morro Bay that were traditionally kind of the, the middle ground as far as price are now becoming upper level housing. Um, and, and specifically in Morro Bay, what we're seeing is North Morro Bay. Um, you know, the Heights have always been kind of that prestigious area. Every, every community has their more prestigious and, you know, the, the, the homes where resales just don't happen a lot. And when they do, there's a real demand to be in that neighborhood. And, and the prices reflect that. And it's always been the Morrow Heights. You know, you're in town, you're up kind of higher on the hill, you have the bay views and rock views. And, and you know, those homes are eight, 900 plus, you know, up in the millions. Um, a similar home in North Morrow Bay has always been, you know, four, five, maybe 600,000. You get really high up on the hill and have more of those panoramic views. You can get up into the, the sevens, eights. Um, now we're seeing things that are just kind of on the lower streets without the, the amazing views are starting to be listed in the high 600s, even the 700,000 range. Wow. And it's pretty amazing. It was very surprising to see those kind of price points for homes you know, that just a few years ago, even at the peak of the housing market, weren't selling for those kind of prices. Well, how many homes are there for sale in, in like that, the coast, Morro Bay? Well, I was looking just in Morro Bay again. Um, I think there were maybe 50 homes on the market. Which is not very many. It's not a lot. If you were... And, and a chunk of those were um, a, a relatively new condo complex where there's like, it, it, it's a, a new build... Um, right on the corner of Ironwood and and Highway 41 and that represents like 15 of the 50 units. Yeah. So really there of of resale homes there's only 35 units. So if you decided that Morro Bay was where you really wanted to be and you were going to make a go of it, you'd you'd find that um you're not going to you're not going to have a whole lot to choose from. So when something comes up you're going to be paying a premium for it. I mean, and that's basically the gist everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone who's got 750000 to spend and maybe wants to be in the Heights, but there's just nothing available in that area is now forced to look in maybe North Morro Bay or maybe a different area um, that's traditionally been a lower price point. But because their 
ability to pay more there and there's demand, they're driving those prices up in, in other neighborhoods. I mean, that's kind of what we're seeing. That's why we're seeing 20% price appreciation year over year. Right. I'm I'm making my way on to Slow County Homes to look at... Um, that's where I was spending. After last week's show, I learned my lesson. <laughs> that the quality of your data is very important. Yeah. And it did, I'll admit, it did take me a little bit of time, maybe a half hour of playing around on the website to really see how the different menus, you know, where the different menus would take me. And I, I think it's that way with any website. Um, but once I got the hang of it, I really enjoyed it and found the data to be reliable. Yeah. Which after last week's Mortgage Matters episode, um, thanks to the schooling of Wes Burke, I learned that Zillow and Trulia just really aren't as reliable as as other websites. I got a lot of feedback um, this week from people that listened to the show that said they had a good a good time um, listening. <laughs> Liked the discussion about Trulia. Um, so that was kind of funny. I, I had a good time too. I pull up this search on Morro Bay, Dan, and like the... I just like kind of went with any old criteria starts off with like 3.2 million, 2.4 million, 1.1. Yeah. See, I changed the search to go lowest to highest. Yeah. Well, <laughs> point is those that of those, this shows that there are 61 listed um, properties. And I imagine when we get down to the bottom, some of this might even be vacant land or yeah. other little properties like that. But um there's nothing about million dollar homes that are entry level in any way, shape, or form. So it feels like out of the gate, if you're buying a place in Morro Bay, you're either you are trying to live on the coast, uh, it, the coast of California in an awesome beach community. It doesn't surprise me that homes down low without those views are finally selling for six hundred grand. I always laugh. You know, the, you know the thing about coastal real estate. They aren't making any more of it. No, in fact, I think there's, they're making less of it. <laughs> and so it kind of blows my mind. It, obviously, down in Southern California, you go to like Manhattan Beach or Pacific Beach or any like that along the coast down there, you get right on the water. You're talking some serious money. And then up here, you could find a little sleeper of a house with an unbelievable view in Morro Bay for five, six, seven hundred grand. Um, don't tell anyone. I, as a Morro Bay property owner, you'd probably like it to get all crazy like that in terms of like everything being worth $3 million. Yeah, I mean, I don't more. mind my home being worth more, but. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, thanks for being with us this first hour. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we got a whole other hour yet to come. There's a lot more to talk about. Probably switch gears a little bit off of this housing thing and move on. Uh, there's more. So stick with us after this break for more Mortgage Matters. Welcome back to Mortgage Matters, everybody. Thanks for being with us. It's 11.05. Can't wait to get out there into that blue sky and find something sunny to do today. Might I might go dig some holes. 
<laughs> Sounds like fun. It's always an epic. You want to borrow my dogs? They're really good at that. <laughs> I need. Well, can you like? Can you direct them towards a very specific spot? I, I need like two holes that are like uh, 18 inches deep, like 12 inches around. That'd be some impressive dog yeah. hole digging. You'd have to fake like a little underground squirrel hole, or, or you know, a little. What are those things? Gopher. Oh yeah, gopher. Those things that are all over my yard. I, d I haven't figured out yet how to trick a dog into believing there's a gopher in that specific yeah, spot. We'll work on it. You know, I I wanted to switch gears a little bit, maybe, and talk the rate thing for a minute. Yeah, um, there was a pretty big event this week. There was, uh, yeah. And you're you're teasing about the Federal Open Market Committee meeting that happened this week, and we got a little announcement. Talk about that and and kind of what that means. But I just kind of want to like zoom out real quick before we dive all the way into this and say, um, at the beginning of the year, and for the last while here um i i think a lot of people just believe that interest rates were going to go up you know interest rates belong higher than they are today in the long term and they're likely to continue um, to go up as the u.s economy continues to get better so here's an explanation of why rates really haven't gone up u.s economy really hasn't continued to get that much better um we in, in kind of going forward, these um, if housing would appreciate, we have housing appreciation. If anything, that's feeling a little bit freaky right now for all the reasons we talked about for the first hour. Um, job formation and creation would increase and get better. That's not really been great this year, um, at least not so far. You had some interesting comment about the um, February jobs report, which added like 175,000 jobs. We talked a little bit about this, I know already, but um, I was kind of one of the masses going, hey, wow, 175,000 in a short month and a cold month, that's pretty good. I'm like, I kind of feel all right about that. And then when you, you said, yeah, if you look at it in the context of what it means, though, over the course of the last year where we've been averaging 200,000, yes, it shines in comparison to the previous two months, but it's not it's not something to celebrate. And um, so even even I needed a little bit of an optimistic slap down over that. I, I felt like I felt like it was really good news, but I think that you're right about that. And and then at the same time. The increases in the job market and the creation of good head of household um, type of jobs would lead to more demand for credit. Um, that increased demand um, in, would create some more organic thawing of the credit markets, which then in turn gives us a position where the feds can lessen their asset purchases. They can begin to slow because demand is being pulled from those normal, naturally occurring open market type of movements of money. Um, so in summary, all we've really seen this year is home prices appreciating at modest paces and the feds lessening their assets, uh, their asset purchasing program. So rates really haven't gone up. And as of right now, we don't expect that they're going to go up because the economy isn't 
improving at, at really a marked rate right now. If anything, doesn't the overall sentiment feel like we're kind of treading water again? Yeah, it. I, I think so. Um, I mean, the, the the Federal Reserve will tell you that there's underlying strength in the economy and that we're we're poised for job growth and and continued improvement, but it's going to be slow. And I think you know we're seeing that slow, steady improvement, that less than spectacular improvement kind of reflected in the rate environment. Rates are holding their own. Even when the Fed announced another $10 billion cut to the bond purchases, it really didn't have a big effect on rates. And you would kind of expect it to. Um, but it, it just... Well, don't, it didn't, it, and it hasn't. It, this is now they've cut now thirty billion dollars out of an eighty-five billion dollar more than per a month third. Program. Yeah, and and it really we haven't seen rates move more than an eighth or a quarter in that time. And don't don't you think now though, like you know, I was thinking about this. I'm the kind of geek that does think about this stuff. But I was thinking about this on on um, Tuesday here. Of would they slow that? pace uh, and would they make further cuts would they stay on this track of cutting 10 billion every month and i sort of arrived at this notion that economically speaking they probably shouldn't but policy wise i think they're going to and they're just going to stick with this trajectory that they're on because they're ready to to begin to let things get back to normal and we've experienced the correction in the last 8 months here home prices are still appreciating and that's really a thing i think if interest in housing waned so much that values began to decline month over month that they may question that policy movement but for now they're just sticking with it because it's a supply and demand thing so you know that being said the the feds met up this week for their two-day meeting and then we find out on wednesday um what they talked about what they had to say um and you know the the bottom line is that they just chunking along they made a couple of other statements one of which was in terms of the uh, long-term interest rates here basically saying two things is that we're probably likely to stay at this rate we're at until the end of 2015 and then secondly removing that telling us straight up that that six and a half percent unemployment rate number is no longer really anything that they're moving more to the the data economic data as a whole than than giving that number much consideration and that really doesn't surprise me at all i thought it was kind of fascinating when they gave that number to begin with um but going back though to the to the broader scale what did the feds try to to convey to the general public in terms of hey rates are going to be at this level through 2015 this kind of go into the home builder guys like we were talking about it's kind of going out to the economy to those people that are about to make a play about to put some money in or still planning on doing something that may take them a year or a year and a half to walk out and saying hey the, the environment for this is going to be safe and stable through at least this amount of time. So go put your chips into play. It's okay to make that move, to go build that house or do that thing. This is sort of what they are trying to accomplish when they give us that sort of direction of twenty end of 2015 before we see big movement.
Yeah, yeah. Trying to set some expectations for stability looking forward. One of the big points um, in the first was this this is the first press conference uh, for Janet Yellen as the Federal Reserve Chairman, um, Chairperson. And one of the big points that she made was inflation. Inflation remains stubbornly low or stubbornly below the target, I believe was the, the quote. Um, and in the same week, we have consumer price numbers come out where we're seeing an annual growth rate in consumer prices of only 1.1%, and they want to see. She, she made the point many times during the press conference that they want to see prices or inflation at about 2%. When it's at 2%, they feel it's stable, but enough to it's high enough to encourage people to spend the money and not just sit on it. Right. Um, because that's what helps keep the economy churning is when money is moving, not just being held. Well, and it definitely presents, prevents us from going through a deflationary cycle, which is like the freaky death blow to our capitalist country. Um, and so I, I'm thinking about that. I started wondering this this week, too. What do you think about this, Dan? Going to pull out. By the end of the year, they should be out of the buying of the um, the treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. We're, I mean, we're on track for it now. In fact, we're approaching halfway through it. And like you mentioned a minute ago, rates really didn't freak out. I mean, we had the lion's share of this movement, just the idea that it was going to start. And we've actually even retreated a little bit below that level since it actually began. And now we see the, the way that this... Um, is walking out is seems to be okay and and going all right what do you say that they get all the way out and then start something else a qe4 try to create some inflation i mean the fed's not been very um they've not beat around the bushes on this topic the inflation is a very big deal a lot of the country's um success and health depends on creating some inflation we've been below the benchmarks they hope for um, but how do you create inflation usually by pumping up the money supply <laughs> haven't they been doing that maybe in the wrong way though maybe yeah. in the wrong way by buying just these treasuries and just these uh, mortgage-backed securities started to wonder what could the fed do to create some inflation maybe there is another trick maybe there is something else they can buy or sell to create some inflation let me yeah. ask you this, Do you have too. an idea? Well, okay, before we go into this, let me tell you, <laughs> yeah. I'm not an economist. I, I didn't study economics in school. I Everything that I say on here is based on nothing more than stuff I read from the internet and, and weird things I conjure up um, <laughs> my in my own head. How about a negative interest rate? There's other... I think there are... You could lower it from the current zero to quarter that it's at and drop it below where you actually are then penalizing people for saving money. Strange thing. I know we probably really do need an economist to like venture further down that path and tell us what that means. Um, I, I wasn't prepared to talk about it today, so I didn't look it up or anything, but I'm pretty sure it's happened elsewhere in years past. Um, so I don't know. Maybe the feds are, though, coming up with another plan and saying that, you know, we're going to pull this money out in this way. 
this part of the economy is doing okay, the next step has got to be creating some inflation, right? But at the same time, we've had stagnant wage growth or declining wage growth. We've had um, less than amazing jobs numbers. So how much inflation can the actual economy um, even bear? You gotta, you gotta worry that once you start pulling that lever, how long, you know, how far do you pull it before, you know, ultimately you start pushing it because you came too far too fast? Kind of a freaky thing. But at any rate, right now, what we're looking at at the Fed is an environment where they, they sort of expect this is going to continue for some period of time. We are to expect that they're on this course now, that by the end of the year, they're going to be done buying the treasuries. They're going to be done um, buying those bonds that they're buying. And, um, you know, I I don't know that uh, there was anything that was ground shaking about the meeting. Um, didn't shock rates too much to hear that. You know, that stuff was the case, you know, all in all and say that rates finished the week about where they started the week. Um, so, yeah, the the statement was the committee continues to anticipate based on its assessment of these factors that it likely will be appropriate to maintain the current target range of the federal funds rate for a considerable time after the asset purchase program ends especially if projected inflation continues to run below the committee's 2% longer-run goal and provided that longer-term inflation expectations remain well-anchored. When they said, what does considerable amount of time mean? She said, something in the order of six months or that type of thing. So that puts you out into the tail end of 2015. Um you know, maybe even 2015. And, you know, that that being said, you know, 2015 could be a little bit of a wild year for the stock market. I wonder what ramifications we see. You know, we saw when when she made that comment there, we saw stocks take a little plunge just based on that. Um, so we'll see. And, of course, we do still have the um goings on over in russia and the ukraine to to worry about right now and so all of these things do inf influence the market to some degree but you know so far it 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 still feels um relatively stable i guess that's what i'll say that's the that. message that the fed's trying to convey yeah. yeah so yeah there you go that's that about the fed meeting let's take a a break Good, good spot for a break here. I've got a little bit more news about um, employment rates throughout the country. A little bit of good news. We're going we're gonna to have some good news here when we come back from break. I do want to invite you to ask questions. I know everyone's being a little shy today. Um, if you have a question or want to share a comment, we'd sure like to hear from you. Um, you can call in live into the studio, 543-8830, 543-8830. Whatever you do, stick around with, for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home. 
Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Back to Mortgage Matters. Thanks for being with us. Eleven twenty-four. During the break, I made my way over to my favorite website, CentralCoastLending.com, and um, I wanted to just share with you guys that uh, if you're a small business owner, and I think that a lot of the people that do listen to our local talk radio here are small business owners, or if you know a small business owner or work for a small business. Um, there's a great article on here that I'd like to direct you guys to go check out, and it's about search engine optimization. Um, Scott Brennan, who's the owner of Access Publishing up in the North County, has actually been a guest on the show before I wrote this blog for our site. Um, and it's just talking about search engine optimization, which is that SEO that you hear about, um, that acronym being kicked around. And, you know, the... the um, the gist of the article here is that you're getting some free advice. Um, we've got a, a a quick little read here, three quick and easy things you can do to uh, boost you up in the search engine um, of Google. So go to the site, centralcoastlending.com, check out this article. Um, 
do these few easy things and uh, it really will boost you up. Now, yeah, SEO doesn't have to break your bank necessarily. No, it, and it can. If you're naive to believe that paying for Google AdWords is going to be the most appropriate thing for you to to boost your ranking, you can exhaust yourself of money rapidly. But there's a free and easy organic way to make this happen. And believe me when I tell you that, because you can go um, try it uh, with us. Open up a Google page and type some words related to home finance in San Luis County, try a few different searches. And what you'll see is Central Coast Lending shows up in the first few entries on most any search you run. And we have never bought any search engine optimization. It's all been done based on kind of beautiful blogs like this, good information that ties stuff back and, and makes our site relevant. Um, so it's just great information for a small business owner. Um, go check it out, centralcoastlending.com. Uh, it's a, a good read. If nothing else, you'll understand a little bit more about how SEO works. Um, <clears throat> we do have a caller waiting on the line. We've got Kenneth calling from Paso Robles. Welcome to the show, Kenneth. Hello, good afternoon. Thank you. Thanks uh, for I'm, calling. Hi. I'm calling for a, a, a question regarding um, the government cutting back on mortgage, purchasing mortgage loans. And okay. I, I wanted to get your thought and your impression regarding the real estate market, how that would affect the real estate market and interest rates in California, possibly this year or next year. I'll, I'll listen to your answer on the radio. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. Well, so... We, we did learn this week that the Fed cut another $10 billion, and, and we've, we've been led to believe that they're going to continue to cut at a $10 billion monthly pace um, over the course of the year until the program is completely, completely expired by, by December of this year. So that's what we're expecting going forward. That's, they've more or less said that that's the plan, unless something major and unexpected happens um, s somewhere along the year that impacts our economy greatly, we should expect the feds to be out of the bond buying business by December. Um, what we've seen so far with the three $10 billion cuts is not a lot of rate movement. You would expect these moves to lead to higher interest rates, but we have have really not seen a lot of movement. We've seen interest rates actually in a really tight range since the beginning of the year, maybe even into late last year, um, really about an eighth or a, po or a quarter of a point range that interest rates are trading in. So for ex a 30-year fixed really has, has been between four and three-eighths and four and five-eighths for almost a six-month period now. Um, that's for a conventional 30-year fixed loan. Looking forward, I, I don't, I mean, I, I do think the bigger trend is going to be rates gradually moving higher, ever so gradually. I like to but hop I in right here. I don't I, think it's going to be a, a big move. I think I got a fresh spin, maybe a little challenge of the thinking here for you. Okay. Um, just as a, a quick um, alignment of sort of perceptions for us. How much would you say real estate volume has fallen year over year now? So take me back to March of last year to today. How much has the landscape, average real estate company, their volume has fallen by how many percent? 
a realist a, a real mortgage estate? company a loan originating company a mortgage a, company volume has fallen 50 percent a real estate company listing and selling homes i think their volume has stayed flat i i think they've really not experienced any downturn so 50 percent drop in okay. mortgage in in mortgage because company refinancing has fallen right so that being said, the feds have been on this pace and the, this pace of 85 billion a month has been going on for more than a year, a few years, a few years. So as volume has plunged into literally half of what it used to be, the rate that the feds were buying has maintained the same. So I would argue that they're slowing their their tapering off at this point anyway is still well ahead of where the market was for the metrics that they set when when volume was significantly higher with refinance volume so that's the first thing secondly um i i just am not sure that uh i don't think rates are going to go up the way we expected them to right away because volume is down there's more competition in the marketplace to be buying these loans because there are few of them being sold. And I want to remind you again that loans today that are being securitized today have unbelievably strict appraisal requirements. The collateral package is tighter than it's ever been. The credit package has top-notch underwriting standards where they're quadruply verifying every fact to be true. The fraud prevention tools, use of database and internet to, to vet out um, conflicting interests or affiliated uh, um, agreements or parties that are colluding. Never before have we had such an alignment of regulation quality, um, fraud prevention, all of this stuff going in. We've had a licensing overhaul down to the, the individuals now that are writing loans have been fingerprinted, credit report run, background checked, tested to be knowledgeable in their field. There didn't even, more than two years ago, there wasn't even a mortgage license to be had. You got yourself a realtor license and then hoped that you could explain APR well. So that being said, I'm just wanting to really drive home the point how good these loans are. And now there's half of as many than there was a year ago. So even though the drop in, in the Fed's buying, they're removing some of that demand out of the market, which you would expect would increase the cost, push interest rates up. The drop in volume is um, creating this sort of still a good interest in what turns out to be a really high quality asset today. So I think we may even see the end of the, the mortgage-backed securities buying at the end of the year and find from there that rates really don't get shook up that much on account of people still want to buy these things and they're still amazing quality. So maybe rates aren't going to shoot up the way that we thought they may. Um, you know, it's, it's been life support, 85 billion a month going into this stuff. You have to wonder what artificially that does. The fear mongers freaked us all out that, hey, when this stuff comes out, then what's going to happen? You know, we're taking off the training wheels. The, this whole thing is going to tank. Well, we're sort of approaching the halfway mark to it now. And the blow has been way less than most people feared. And to the, the point of Kenneth's question, what does it mean for real estate? 
um, if if rates remain at these levels, which I think you and I are both in agreement that if they go up at all, it's going to be very Not minimal, much. but they might even stay at this level throughout the rest of this year. It's going to mean that you have the same amount of people that can qualify for housing. So demand's probably going to well, remain relatively the more same. More people, because remember, every day a new group of people turn 18, a new group of people graduate college, a new group of people get married and look to buy a home. So every day, more people are after housing that can still qualify based on these low rates. And tying it back to what we were talking about in the first segment of the show here, we're not building enough houses. So what's it mean for real estate? The bottom line is the value of real estate's going up. Yeah, until until enough units are being produced to at least meet demand, if not exceed demand a little bit, you're going to still continue to see home prices rise. Right. And um, don't forget that that's why San Luis is always one of the reasons San Luis is always said to be insulated. We don't allow building to exceed demand. We don't allow we don't promote that growth. Um, you know, and, and I know it's kind of an old way of thinking and we could start a whole argument about that today. I'm not really interested in having that argument. We have a premium real estate here because as a rule, we don't grow like that. So, um, you know, in terms of real estate, I'm going to argue this is a great time to invest in real estate right now. Um, yeah, it was a year and a half ago. Um, it was two years ago. It would have been thrilled to have bought up as many houses as you could get your hands on from two years ago in our county. However, from here looking forward, I don't see... I don't see a big ripple in um, the future. I, I don't see a reason that we're going to experience like economic turmoil the way we did in 2007. I don't see a reason why we would see a free, a free fall in property values ever again. Um, you know, and, and partially well, I don't know about ever. Well, yeah, I shouldn't say ever in the next 10 to 15 years. Because, you know, I, I mean to tell you, I'm talking to people that um, in the last year, they got they bought a house a year ago and they have a 3.125 30-year fixed. Most people care significantly less about what their house is worth and are thrilled with the fact that they have a loan that's never going to change and it's likely to never be cheaper than that, you know? They're not going to let those houses go to short sale and foreclosure. Um, so I think we just have more stability than ever, and that's only going to gird the housing market up and make it more expensive. Yeah? Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed to agree. I like that. Uh, Dan, we were talking about inflation as it relates to um, the Fed before we got um, – a little bit sidetracked and there's just a couple of things this week that I thought um, kind of tied into that discussion. Uh, first of all, when I prepared these notes on Tuesday, um, that was when we had just learned about um, the producer price, consumer price index rather. Producer price index came out um, last Friday and I think we probably mentioned it on the show last week, but um, you know, the gist of it here, as long as we've been doing mortgage matters, inflation hasn't been a problem. 
We, um, in fact, the only problem with inflation is that we're having trouble keeping it as high as we need it to be. Um, this, uh, let's see here. The inflation rate for the producer price index was forecast at plus 0.2% with the core rate. Um, that doesn't include the volatile food and energy costs. Um, and those numbers actually dropped, came out plus 0.1. Um, and, and it's hard to know what plus 0.1 to plus 0.2 means, but the bottom line is we were hoping to push that number up and it came in a little bit lower than expected, showing that inflation is still not not only is it nothing to worry about here, uh, but it's below expectations. It's below um, really where we'd like it to be. Um, the consumer price index is also up less than 1%. And you got to remember that the Fed is trying hard to create inflation. It really hasn't been working. Um, the gains in, in this is the weakest 12-month gain in the previous six months. So... Um, and that happened right as the feds came out talking to us about their meeting. It's not surprising that they referenced inflation yet again. Um, so, you know, the bottom line here is that based on these numbers, things really aren't getting more expensive. It's hard to imagine it feels that way, especially when you take the core rate, which backs out food and energy. Everything seems to be based on food and energy, but, um, just sort of chugging along there. Um, so I apologize. I was a little out of place. I wanted to tie that in. Um, I know there are some, some mortgage matters geeks out there with their notepads saying he never told us what producer price was. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there may be that one person. They won't, they won't be able to sleep tonight, Jason. They won't be able to sleep. Thank God you satisfied that need to know. Yeah, totally. Wow. Hey, it's 1140 now, and so I just want to invite you guys, if you have a question or a comment, you can call in and give us a, a shout here. 543-8830 is the number, 543-8830. We'll be back for the final segment of the show in just a minute here. Stick with us. Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A 
new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. We're, during the break here, we're just buttoning up this little conversation about inflation. And um, I maybe like you guys are probably rolling your eyes. Don't, don't I, shoot the messenger. Yeah. I'm not telling you that inflation is like a figment of our imagination because Dan and I agreed during the break that it feels like an awful lot of things have gotten more expensive um, over the past few years. Well, we remember when we when the Fed started the first QE program or, you know, all this spending, bailout money, TARP, QE1, 2, the QE3, all kinds of money being injected into the economy. And, I mean, we've even had Cal Poly professors on here saying they don't understand. They, they at the time, they, you know, they didn't understand why inflation wasn't running away right then and there. Um, with all the money going into, you know, being printed, um, as we like to say. And, yeah. and still, you well, know, we're I... hearing from the Fed that inflation's not only stubbornly below target, it's, you know, we want it to be higher. We, we want more inflation. I've been, um, <laughs> I've been watching, I probably told you about this already, but um, I've been, I, I just watched this like mini series called Klondike. Did I tell you about this? Yeah, I think so. That's like a gold rush town called Dawson in the late 1800s, right? And this is kind of like what I think you're supposed to believe about inflation, okay? Is there's a little isolated town cut off to the rest of civilization. And just imagine that somebody then, Mr. Fed, comes in and just starts kicking around crazy amounts of money. And all of a sudden, like, because he's brought this money that didn't exist in this economy yesterday, now he's in the saloon with the money and starts buying up the goods and services of everyone around. Now suddenly what was functioning based, you know, a beer was a nickel because that's kind of what people had. And now all of a sudden everybody's flush with twenties. So, there's a limited amount of beer and people start going, well, I'll give you a buck for that beer or two bucks for that beer, 10 bucks for that beer. That's inflation. 
introducing some cash that isn't sort of part of the normal day to day and then watching what it does to the cost of services because people are flush with cash. They, they spend it and you can sell stuff for more. Um, we're told that's not happening. Yet when you look at the cost to fill up your gas tank, the price of homes, your Take grocery a, bill. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the look at the Pepsi can. I mean, now it's eight ounces or whatever. They're putting out the eight ounce. They're changing. Soda. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I'm smart enough to know that um, it appeals to you marketing wise because well, maybe you do really only want to drink a six or eight ounce soda instead of a twelve or twenty ounce soda. Um, I guarantee you from the the price per ounce is higher. Yes, and they're <laughs> making a profit um to be selling this thing maybe appealing to people in a different way. It's an it's a way for them to preserve or increase profits but while giving you less of the good that they're producing. So, and we've seen that. I mean, I I I know I've talked about this before, but there's like my bar of soap that I get um used to be like sort of symmetrical in all ways and like a big hearty bar of soap now is like concave on the top and convex on the bottom where it's like they've carved out a third of my soap and it, it's like well this got this new ergonomic handhold design i'm like nonsense you took 35 percent of my soap <laughs> away and, got it, less <laughs> and it costs the same amount as it took when i used to get the full bar and you know and yeah and it's gone this way in so many things like we, ice cream ice cream ice you cream. used to be able to get a half gallon or whatever now you're getting like a third gallon quarts or yeah, something it, like that. And, yeah. So all these little, it's like, oh, look, they've made that cute. <laughs> yeah. How handy. But it's the same price, you know? Yeah. That is where I think inflation happens. And I, I don't really intend to really upset all you guys. So if inflation. Healthcare feels like it's inflated. <laughs> yeah. Why is this doubled? I still haven't been to the doctor and I'm paying twice as much now. So if inflation's measured by someone going out and buying a basket of goods and then going out the next month and buying the same basket of goods and continuing to do this month over month, how come they're not seeing this basket of goods get more expensive. I go out and buy pretty much the same basket of goods every couple of weeks at the grocery store, and it seems like it gets more expensive. Mine has. For sure, mine has. It I definitely mean, has. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's things not. have gotten more expensive. I mean, have your, yeah. have your eating habits changed significantly month over month? Not particularly. You kind of buy the same things you always buy, right? Yeah. The same things you like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's, I mean, so we're all in agreement here. I know. But yet the people who measure it on a national level don't seem to agree with us. When you make the green bean casserole at the holidays, and it says on the Frenchest thing to use so much soup, the soup can, they haven't changed the recipe on the back of the, the label, and the soup cans have gotten smaller. So now you need more than one now can? Now you need more than one can of soup, darn it. Or you're going to have like really bad green bean casserole, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it's just you know what else the, too? Yeah. Um, I don't know how much beef you guys like accustomed to consuming every month. We hardly consume beef in my household, um, and so this is something that I usually only buy maybe every six or eight weeks. Like we'll maybe see a sale on some ribeyes or a tri-tip or something, and have some red meat. Um, 
cost of red meat's gone through the roof. Like crazy expensive. And I, I feel like I notice this because it's not something I buy very regularly, but all of a sudden I'm going, wait, what? They're charging eight, nine bucks a pound for this stuff that used to be four or five bucks a pound. And I understand that, you know, because of the drought, the haze gotten more expensive, all this stuff. How is that not measured into inflation? And I, I know that in the core rate, they remove food and energy for these very reasons. But it those can be are the volatile. things people buy. Right. So if you remove food and energy, what else is there? Clothes? Clothing. That's it? That's what we're measuring clothing? <laughs> no, it's other goods. What? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Your TV. That's, that's a durable good. You don't go buy a TV every... You know, I don't know. I'm trying to, to, that's a that's I'm a product to think that of lasts things more that than have three years. Probably gotten cheaper. Maybe that's what's <laughs> happening. What? Actually, I, you know, crickets? Technology. <laughs> I'm not hearing anything. Well, actually, you know, when they come out with new technology for TVs and computers, it it's expensive for a while, and then it comes down. Usually. Yeah. But so. and and perhaps that's not being counted. Maybe maybe that is what's offsetting the increases in other things. See? Yeah. Cheaper technology. Solve your the, problem. The, you just need to be buying more laptops. That we really need. <laughs> and then yeah. you would agree the Come overall in. bill is going down. Yeah. Come in with a new laptop every week, Dan. I, I don't do that. See, I think a laptop's <laughs> also a durable good. Yeah. I, I could be wrong about that. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, what are they measuring? What else is there? We don't measure food? Oh man, there's a cart. They take they take a cart around. Where uh, else are you taking it? I'm not taking a cart to go buy clothes. The only place I'm getting a basket of goods is at the grocery store. Yeah, but we don't count that when we're counting inflation. Something's wrong with that. Agreed. Hey, there's only ten minutes to go here on the show, and I thought that um, a, a, an appropriate way to wrap this up would be. I, I like this idea of kind of talking about recent successes and stuff in terms of like loans. Cool. And um, so a couple things here. Um, number one is got a few new VA clients this week. And so I just want to remind you guys that um, VA loans are a really cool loan. Um, and one of them uh, turns out a person who wasn't really – didn't really even recall that they were eligible. And it wasn't until, you know, I asked the question, they had any um, eligibility for VA that we even actually explored it. But this is a really great program. Um, it, it can be 100% financing. Most of the time it is. Um, in a first time benefit, they do finance like a, a mortgage insurance component into the actual loan. But it's a fantastic program. If you are VA eligible and looking to buy a house, we're a direct VA lender. We have the ability to um, go through that transaction with you. Um, you know, and there there is some stuff. You know, you don't want just anybody to do your VA loan on account of there's a lot of rules and regulations as far as the fees and stuff that can can be charged or not in that. Um, the bottom line is that the VA is really focused on protecting the veteran. They don't allow you to pay really what feels like customary fees that other borrowers may um, want to or may be required to pay. So um, 
First of all, it's just a, a call out to any vets. If you're interested in getting pre-qualified for home, even if you're not ready today, we pre-qualify people and get them on a path to home ownership, show you what you can do with your credit, show you what you can do in terms of having a budget goal for savings, um, get you on track of expectations of what it's going to take to to manage um, what goes into being a homeowner. So even if it's not something that you're going to do right away, we'd love to hear from anybody out there that thinks they might be a benefit for a VA loan. We also had a loan fund just yesterday um, for a young couple that bought their first home using USDA financing. And um, I always enjoy seeing um, first-time home buyers buy a house. I want to share the details of this transaction with you because th this program is 100% uh, financing. It really is um, just an unbelievable opportunity if you could qualify for a USDA loan and the property that you are buying is eligible for USDA financing. What a fantastic way to go. Um, there are people out there that are listening today. Um, I want you to think about your um, siblings or your nieces and nephews, perhaps your grandkids, that you're, you're, you own a home and you don't need these kind of loans that we're talking about every week, but you know these people that you're saying, hey, how come you haven't bought a house yet? And they say, oh, yeah, well, I can't afford a house. Um, I don't have a down payment saved up, blah, blah, blah. These are the kind of people that we want to hear from, um, and we can look towards getting them fixed up with like a USDA loan, 100% um, financing. So having that down payment isn't really necessary. Uh, I did also want to point out that this couple that bought this USDA um, house bought this house using the USDA loan, their mortgage payment is effectively equal to the rent that they were paying prior to buying. So this is a great opportunity for somebody to be able to buy a house, start saving for their future instead of paying rent. Because um, you know rent, you know what the interest rate is on rent. I mean, rent's 100% interest. <clears throat> We're doing home loans that are at like 4% interest. So save yourself 96% interest <laughs> and buy a house where you can set yourself up for your best chance of retirement. Um, that, that really, I think, is we're back to that. Um, last week on the show, I don't remember if we talked very much about it, but um, Freddie Mac released a report that said... Um, 39% of people that refinanced in 2013 chose shorter home loan terms. Um, and I just, I, that's another call out to a lot of you guys that, you know, maybe interest rates up a little bit from where it needs to be for you to refinance, but don't forget you can do a 20 year loan, a 25 year loan. We can do a 15 year loan. We have a 10 year fixed where literally 120 payments and you own your house outright. And, you know, depending on how much you have to finance, that may or may not be an option for you, but it's definitely worth exploring. Um, I talked to another client this week that owns an investment property down in Los Angeles. It's a fourplex, um, pretty simple little project. They just, they have a loan on it. It was a 15 year loan with only a hundred and something payments remaining. My proposal back was for a 10 year fixed. The interest rate goes from 4.75 down to like three and a quarter. And they're, they're really going to pay off in the same amount of time, but we took about $500 out of the payment. 
for just just restructuring it, dropping the payment, effectively the same payoff date, but just figuring out how to free up that cash flow. Every one of us is um, depending on income to some degree to offset our expenses and keep us up with living. Make life a little bit easier on yourself using finance for your home or your investments in the smartest way possible. Having a loan that you haven't dealt with or addressed in the last few years because you think your rate's just good enough or you don't want to disturb this thing because it's a 30-year loan and you only have 23 years to go. I just want you guys to know that 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 may not be the best logic. And where we really differentiate ourselves from our competitors is that we'll sit down and show you those options. And we're really good problem solvers at coming up with a way that maybe we can shorten your term. Um, you know, sometimes we'll even make proposals to people where your payment, your payment every month may even go up slightly, but it might get you out of five or 10 years worth of payments. And in the long run, um, that may be a, a closer um, alignment of your objectives than just staying with the loan you have. So let's have that dialogue. All you need to do is reach out to us. You can do it in any number of ways. Find us on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. You can go on there, check out loan programs, do a little bit of research, poke around. I think if you visit the site, you'll stay a while. It's a really good site. Um, and then additionally, you can call us this week. The number that rings to all of our offices is 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Um, enlist us to take a look at what you're working with. Um, you know, I hope you get the sense of it, but we're not the lame sales folks that you wish you never called. Uh, we're just going to give you straightforward options, solutions to your problems, help get you set up on a on a better track than the one you're on. And if not, um, you'll enjoy talking with us and you'll be told that after your checkup, you were um, on the best track you could already be on. So just keep on doing what you're doing. But wouldn't you be a little bit happier to know um, one way or the other? If you're interested in investigating your options, you can apply online. It's quick and easy. It's secure. Um, go to centralcoastlending.com, click the apply now link, and uh, we get notified when you've done your application. And, you know, having a discussion is pretty quick and easy. You could come into the office or it could just be done over the phone. And like Jason said, it's a no hassle, free, easy way to know. Um, if you're Where in the you best stand. financial situation you can be. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. We'll be back next week. More Mortgage Matters. Have a great week.